Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. In today's episode, we look at the visceral imagery of Claire Denis. She is one of cinema's foremost masters at tackling intimate human stories that contain heavy themes of post-colonial tensions, modern alienation, and the complexities of love and sex. During the 80s, she developed her own voice of original cinematic language. Raised in colonial West Africa, Denis applies her outsider view of the world and presents the struggles of race, humanity, and life itself in our films. In her first feature film venture, done in 1988, Chocolat, Denis draws upon her own life experiences growing up in colonial French Africa. Returning to her hometown, Cameroon, where she grew up, a white woman reflects on her relationship with Prote, a black servant with whom she formed a friendship while not grasping the racial divides that govern their worlds. Denis's second venture, No Fear, No Die, made in 1990, explores the darker, moodier side of immigrant alienation. Two young men living in France, Da and Jocelyn, resort to making money through the barbaric sport of illegal cockfighting. As the French owner of the restaurant where they stage the fights pushes them to make the events more violent, Jocelyn begins looking for a way out, trying to escape the life he has been dealt. Chocolate takes place right after World War II. The Germans have been ousted from West Africa, and the woman who we first see in the film, it's her remembering her experiences in Africa with her family. Her father was stationed as a civil servant, much like Denise's own father was at the time when she was growing up. So it's a, you know, again, reflection of her past growing up in West Africa. And they're stationed in this little town that there's really nothing there except the land itself and the people. And it's very third world country, but it's the clash between the French culture and the West African culture and the blending of the two cultures trying to live together in this space. Much like Gitai showing how people live together in a certain space between Israelis and Palestinians, this is focusing more on French and the West African relationship at the time, right after World War II. She was Ame. Claire Denis is Ame because at the end, she well, she's herself when she's young mm-hmm. and then going back to visit again later on is still her. It's just kind of, it's kind of like her film journey in a way. Her first movie is an homage to, you know, where she came from, her roots and everything. And that's kind of where the film starts. And by the end of the film, you know, she's visiting again. So she's going inside of her own mind twice and revisiting something she's visited and visiting yeah. a film. It's like a, it's like, that it's sense. like a <laughs> triple subversion into your past experiences <laughs> type of thing. So I think the way she portrays the racial divide that that's so evident during that time is very subtly done. You're not beaten over the head by it. It's just, it's just presented to you, to the viewer, and you are allowed to, how do you feel about this? Which characters do you identify with? For me, I identified more with Prote and his struggle to just have people accept him for him working his ass off to help raise the child in the film since the family's this weird close-knit family in a certain way but you know the servants raise the kids as well as the the parents themselves which I found kind of interesting that kind of interplay between the two sides yet there's 
that racial, there's that divide, even though the mother does start to fall for Prote towards the middle of the film when her husband is away on assignment, she has no one there to watch over her. The nearest man is Prote and she sees how he is around her daughter yet doesn't want to accept that he's really a older brother or father figure to that child of hers something i found interesting you know like you said she doesn't like force the issue like down you know down your throat you she kind of just sets it there and lets you kind of see what's going on you don't it's not like some film does you know where it's like here's the issue and they put it right in front of your face she just she's letting life happen which i I, that's what i you know really found to to like about this movie that the family themselves in regards to their servants and everything were actually quite kind but then once the travelers showed up the uh what would you call them the the explorers the outsiders the, yeah the outsiders <laughs> the plane wreck the plane crash squad you kind of see a, a shift yeah and they come in and it disrupts the whole balance in a way because it's i would say more of a symbol of france's colonization of africa and how everyone's alienated by their presence there and i think that's what denis is trying to say with that is that they're strangers in a strange land and they don't belong there and they're pushing their ideals upon a, a set of people who do not want to accept their culture and i don't yeah it's like kind of what we're going through today with america trying to put our viewpoint into other countries and you know but we're not accepted there it's like we don't know when to just say okay let's just back off and let them do their thing it's a power move and you saw that as soon as the travelers landed that they the outsiders that they basically asserted their dominance over everybody exactly you had the kind of uh hippie-ish guy just being a total racist oh, uh, to him. everyone especially <laughs> prote and so much. also you know the guy who keeps like a servant in his room and feeds her like almost like an animal is just it, it's so he's sort of being nice but then he's still a racist pig and also the fact that you know the pilot of the crashed airplane or the injured aircraft is very dominant and just like does not want to be there they don't want to be there they're just everyone's just kind of thrown into it and they're just like i i want out yeah (laughs) where's the nearest plane can i get out as soon as i can but again that then they assert their, it, it, as you said, a pow- it's like a power struggle because they try to assert their power and like say, let's get this, you know, plane fixed and it should be done. It should have been done like a day ago, but things take time there. You know, they're not, they're working with what they have. And the locals are just like, what, what do you guys think you're doing? <laughs> and yeah. such. You know? I think one of the perfect scenes that encapsulates what Denis was trying to say about this film and how, you know... It's Western civilization... Trying um, to colonize. Yeah, which England did it, France did it, Germany did it, we did it. We're still trying to do it. We're still trying to do it, exactly. But yeah, I think one of the scenes that really stuck with me the most that kind of what Denis was really trying to say about the film and about colonization, about powers being forced in. You know, it is race is is a central issue in the film, a central theme and and, uh, issue. But there's like we talked about just power struggles and power moves and uh, dictatorship in a way, if if you look at it. But the scene I'm thinking of is when they drive out to get the doctor. Yep. the uh, the uh, black doctor and they wake up the whole group you know and you see where they're living compared to you know where the family's living and they're just you know it's this abandoned basically building with a hole in the wall and a no door and everybody comes out 
and they're looking for the doctor. They have their brights on. You could see, you know, they're all shielding their eyes because they've just been woken up. Who knows what time of night it is? And they drive the doctor all the way back to the family because it's if it correct me if I'm wrong, but it's the wife or a girlfriend of one of the guys from the plane. Correct. Yeah. The newly wedded wife of one of the guys on the plane. And she's like throwing up and she's sick and that's why they go get the doctor. But yeah, they, they impose their, like, you should just bow. You should stop everything you're doing, including just wake up for us and drop everything you're doing and, and serve us. And the the look they give when they do drive away after they've picked up the doctor, the family that comes out of the house, they just look at them like they want to kill them. Or like, they want what you. This is what you brought us. How dare you bring us somebody? And it's during know, one it's of not. their sacred times, Ramadan. You know, so it's like they're practicing Muslims and such, and they're the French do not care about how it affected the West Africans. You know, it's like there's no conscious. There's no remorse. Thought. There's no remorse. Thank you. And then, so going back to that scene to finish that scene up, you know, I wasn't shocked that they were upset that they didn't, you know, want the the care from, from that doctor. But the thing that stuck with me the most about that whole scene was when they said they didn't want his help, that he walked back all that way by himself. And it's like that, that shows you right there that Yeah, they're making progress in regards to being included in things and things like that. But at the end of the day, they're still being treated that much lower as a person, as an individual, even though he that man most likely had the ability to take care of, you know, what was going on just Mm -hmm. because of his color. They they said no, they treated him like dirt. And yeah, and he walks back on dirt. Another great scene where Denis shows kind of the plight of Prote and his struggles while he's trapped in this class system and this life that he has was the scene where he's, you know, showering out in the outhouse and I guess the mother and the daughter walk by and just the... I mean, he's stark naked and the mother just rushes the daughter in real quick. I don't know if they see, but he sees them and he's immediately shamed by showing himself to them. And it's it's an embarrassment. And I also think it's, you know, just he had uh, a certain status, but then it's like he's stripped down to his very core in that scene. And it's like he's just a man. I mean, he's just showering. He's just trying to get by. There yeah. and I, I, I thought that was a beautifully shot scene. The look on Bancoles, who plays Prote's face, is just like he starts crying after they've left. The humiliation aspect of it too is just you know how could uh, someone be subjected to that much? Well, yeah, because you you can't hide anything. You, you're in your most vulnerable state when right. you're just exposed like that. And going going off of that, on a different note, you have Macinard who's using that exact same shower that Prote was using, but he has the complete opposite reaction. You know, he is, he's wide open exposed, but it's because he already has that status. He already has that, he has nothing to fear level. He has nothing to fear. He can do whatever he wants. He has the power. And I thought that was a beautiful, you know, just to show the, how the class system and the racial issues in the film are kind of presented just by, you know, taking what you said with Prote, being in tears for being seen vulnerable in that state. And then you have Macinard, 
who's doesn't care at all. Yeah, walks he just off hangs it all naked. <laughs> yeah, yeah, literally. Yeah, and it's it's a dominance thing too because even the two fight for dominance over the family. Mm-hmm. And when you know Prote at the end like throws him out on his ass, that's like a great moment because it's just like, <laughs> dude, don't mess with my family, basically. Yeah, and I I find it interesting that after all the stuff he puts up with. Prote still has the the little girl's interests at heart and still tries to defend her at, until he but he has a breaking point that's what that boiler scene at at oh, the very end such was a beautiful scene so where well the fact that he's gone through hell for them and then he doesn't get any recognition or anything for it and he's he's exiled pretty much he's exiled yeah the wife since she has feelings for him tells her husband like you need to put him in the garage and just like let him almost like let him go and that scene where he allows the little girl to burn her hand on the boiler is kind of his revenge on that family for what they've done to him but in a way it's also kind of sadistic as well because you know now she's maimed you know her hand is maimed yeah and it's and it's a reminder for her that too from for the rest of her life it's a mark, almost like they they're marked. Prote and all of you know all of the other servants are marked as servants. They're lower, mm-hmm. and 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 I think what Denis is trying to say is that you should never forget where we've come from and where we need to keep progressing forward and mend those wounds that have been in the past between both sides. Continuing with racial issues, as far as how they carry over into No Fear, No Die. I think No Fear, No Die is a great sequel to Chocolate because it came out about two years after Chocolate, which was in 1988, and then No Fear, No Die was 1990. In No Fear, No Die, you have two immigrants coming to France to try just to scrape by and make a living. And because they're forced into this world of cockfighting or chicken fighting, you know, they have no family. They are on their own. The only family actually that's really watching out for them is the French owner of the restaurant that they stage the fights at. But even then, they're treated like they're just a pawn in the game of this world. I think that's why Jocelyn really tries to escape that world because he's just he hates being a prisoner in it. It's a more grittier version of the racial alienation of immigrants between French and anyone who's immigrated into the country at that time. And it's like kind of like a dystopian vision of France at that time. It's not as in your face, but in a no fear, no die, I feel like it's a lot more prevalent. It's a darker, gritty movie. Yeah. Moodier, just it reminded me very much of like almost like a Blade Runner yeah. type of feel where it's always raining or it's always cloudy. And it's just <laughs> Seattle would like a word. Exactly. Or, or <laughs> Seattle. Yeah. It reminded me of like Seattle. I think that adds to that depression that the main character, Jocelyn and Da, uh, who is also played by Isaac de Bancole, feel since they've been thrown into this world and they're, well, actually they're forced into it. Also cockfighting, you know, is it's an underground type thing. So I think the setting and the moodiness really fits with what the film was going for in general. Exactly. I mean, I think the film definitely tries to portray how Denis feels about her country and coming back during her youth. You know, she spent time in West Africa and then coming back, she had said that she felt like an outsider because when you've spent so long in a different country, you're 
you have a different viewpoint of the world. And when you come back to another country and you go to live there, they have different viewpoints. And it's very, you're kind of estranged from that world because you've been away from it so long. I, I feel like that's, you know, the number one thing people will, you know, when you ask them, ask people about trips abroad, like, oh man, what was it like? And they always come back and say, you know, it, it's so different. I have a bigger appreciation for et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, you know? Well, because she was seeing that class system up close and personal and getting firsthand experience on it. And a lot of the time it's like, it'd be like us going to a different country or even going there from America. For us, we would be the aliens in that country. No Fear, No Die is more of a noir version of Denise experiences. And then Chocolate would be more of her more idyllic youth in a way, but has its own set of racial and social issues that are brought up while she was growing up during that time. And one thing I noticed, it seems like she doesn't do a lot of close-ups. It seems like she kind of sets the camera down and she paints the area almost like what Ozu did in a way. Yeah, she like sets the stage where... She allows the characters to just kind of move in the space and we're, it almost has like a very documentary feel to it. You know, with Chocolate, she was very, it was more like a melodrama of the family, you know, and we're just seeing this family drama play out before us. And then with No Fear, No Die, it's, we're right in the thick of these two men's lives trying to, just struggling to live. The camera was a little closer to them in No Fear, No Die, I think. Yeah, it was more of a documentary look in No Fear, No Die, I would say. More handheld camera, more just we're following these guys around. And it kind of reminded me of almost like a boxing film, if you think about it, because they have the fights, the cockfighting. Very low lit. Low lit, staged. The handheld camera work just really added to how we were feeling and breathing that space. Another thing about her that I was reading up on is that she really liked to use real life locations as opposed to studios. So, I mean, you can see that clearly in Chocolate, you know, all of those B-roll footage is being actually there in Africa, which is gorgeous. You know, you got to, it's like you said, it's her homage, you know, to it's a love letter for her basically back to where she came from while still tackling issues that are prevalent now as they were today. But it is, it truly is a love letter. You can see that in the film, how she tries to capture the beauty of Africa even though there's issues going on inside of it. Because the moments that she picks to humanize Prote and also the little girl and their relationship, which is supposed to be Denis herself, and she shows those moments, you're getting this glimpse in, and into an intimate moment of this family where you see his role and how he watches over her and makes sure that she's eating correctly, even though they're eating ants. But it's like, that's what you're left with. You either eat or you starve. I think the way she shows those moments are very personal to her and just very important as well. And that kind of ties into, you know, how does she view the world? I feel like when the little girl burns her hand on the boiler and she has that mark and you see the mark at the end of the film when she's, you know, getting out of the taxi and she looks at her hand. I feel like that's Denis, you know, she never forgot how things were when she was growing up and she used her ability as a director, as an artist to be able to 
show the world, you know, what is going on, what issues are prevalent, uh, what do we need to work on? And like we talked about briefly, she's kind of branched out, used her platform to start there. And she's branched out into other types of film now, other completely different, you know, genres and stuff, but she's still doing her work. And I guarantee you, she's never forgotten about where she came from, because I feel the burn is so symbolistic of not just, you know, the film of being reminding of everything that happened in Chocolate, but what everything that's happened in her life. The, the thing that Claire Denis really uses it as almost a reminder and also what are the issues we need to tackle still, which is it, it's, it's really interesting that we're still dealing with racial issues to this day. And it's just it, it's sad because there's something wrong here. We need to fix it and we need to mend that gap between white and black and come together as one people. Art, though, will reflect what's going on in the social consciousness. And I think these are two films that really reflect that time period. And as far as film goes, push the overall general consciousness into a more forward-thinking viewpoint. And I think that even ties in today, you know, we see where these filmmakers started and what they were doing, you know, back decades ago now at this point. Decades? Decades? Yeah, decades, 10 years, right? Yeah. Yeah, decades ago. <laughs> yes. Yeah, decades. I, I, I wasn't count. good at math, yes, yeah, right? You can count. <laughs> This is this is why we're in uh, film, guys. We, we, we don't we don't uh, we yeah. don't do math, guys. <laughs> that's right. That's right. But you know, you look at where we're at today as a society, especially in the time we're in right now, and I feel like we can't get away from these type of films. I was having a conversation with somebody recently about you know content, content, content is the key right now for all these studios. But I think this is the time when all these you know indie filmmakers and things are really going to start shining because they're the ones that are truly telling stories that are important because they want their voice to be heard as artists. And we all as artists should have our voices heard and we should be you know tackling these issues of all different types that are going on in the world right now and not letting these bigger corporations just dictate what we're supposed to be thinking exactly it, you yeah. you need to have your mind open and available and not just you know go one route with all the corporations right now you know they're pushing all these huge films these blockbusters to streaming services and stuff but this film right here a lot of people wouldn't sit down and watch this film but it's such an important part of our our history as a society as people as as artists we just cannot forget how important film is to the world because i feel like we're getting to a point right now where film is being thrown to the side for profit. Well, you're absolutely right about that. It, it is being used for profit. I think the film voices that do come out of the need for us to express ourselves and also to tackle these issues, you know, I think we are going to see a boom in the industry, hopefully, that more and more directors will start doing more of these types of films and such. And, you know, but it's, it's always good to know where we've come from and then where we can head in the right direction. With Chocolate and No Fear, No Die, I think Denis kind of set up that groundwork for future filmmakers to go, hey, there's so many stories to tell in the world because it's a it's a big world. Even though we think it's very small, there's so many people, they all have stories to tell. She reminds us with her films that we need to keep working towards unity and just working with each other and being accepting of people too. We all come from the same family, really. <laughs> so yeah, we all have a brain. We all have a heart. We all have, you know, the... We all love. We all feel, yeah. Yeah, we all hurt. We're all human at the end of the day. 
If you like this episode, follow us on social media at Film Detectives for further news and upcoming shows. Join us next week as we explore filmmakers from around the world. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.